Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 9 of the podcast, the topic is Killer Applications in Next Decade's Edge Computing. Our guest is Carlo Dafara, CEO and co-founder of Nodeweaver. Carlo, how are you doing? I'm doing very fine. Thank you very much. And you? Uh, things are great here in Boston. Where are you right now? I am in a small city in the northeast of Italy called Udine. It's uh, right just 100 kilometers north of Venice. And what's going on in Udine today? Well, uh, sunny, uh, happily most of uh, the the virus uh, effects uh, have been gone away. So we are out of uh, lockdown and uh, uh, let's say trying to return to normality for what is possible. Well, I'm glad to hear hear that because I know you're originally from Padova uh, and, uh, you know, so this part of Italy is, uh, you know, among the most beautiful uh, parts, very historical. And you went to the University of Padova, a very ancient university. Um, and I know uh, that it's very close to the municipality of Vaux, which I was reading about during the early days of the Corona uh, pandemic because it's one of the early epicenters. Uh, but then subsequently they tested everyone and, and they got sort of things into control. How, uh, how are you experiencing the early days of, uh, of this pandemic? Well, the sudden change in uh, nearly everything uh, was uh, really disconcerting at first. The fact that no, uh, no one is uh, out there, uh, everything on lockdown, uh, every shipment, every activity suspended was really uh, unexpected, uh, of course. And uh, it was uh, curious because in the first day, everyone was saying that, oh, it's not different than uh, standard uh, flu. And uh, it took just a few days to see how many deaths uh, we get in uh, in a very short period of time. So we changed it in uh, in a very short uh, amount of days from uh, this is uh, really nothing important to uh, okay everyone is at home and we don't know where we'll be out of that. Uh, luckily, it uh, it's uh, now more under control. There are a little bit uh, of uh, uh, restarting uh, in some smaller cities, mostly because of uh, people flying in from uh, other countries, but it's mostly under control. I'm I'm very glad to hear that. And uh, you know, th uh, today's topic is is not on the coronavirus, but it seems to be something that we all uh, are dealing with all around the world. Uh, so, uh, congratulations on being able to uh, to throw curb it and. Uh, Let's move on to uh, to you because you're the CEO of Node Weaver, uh, working on a uh, cloud platform and an edge cloud platform. And you've been working. You and I met uh, back in Brussels, I think, uh, in the 2014 time frame. I think yeah. where we were both working on the intersection of open source and open standards, um, and. Uh, I wanted to ask you, is there a linear path from open source to, to edge computing? What's the relationship? 
Well, in general, I would say that there is a, a linear path uh, uh, of open source with cloud computing in general and uh, modern IT platforms because most of the code in uh, application that gets deployed in the last five years, uh, nearly 70% of the code is open source. So it would not be possible to create an IT infrastructure without open source today. And open source allows for experimentation. Uh, basically, it allows to create uh, changes to, to try new architectures, new way of doing things that uh, allows uh, the kind of speed that is necessary in uh, edge deployments, in cloud deployments in general. Got it. Few people know this about you, but you built one of the largest cow DNA databases in Europe, uh, used to estimate the genetic properties of future offspring. I understand you also did fieldwork on a farm. Uh, you know, how did this happen? Was, was this fun? Is this your, you know, typical of your everyday uh, working on edge computing? Oh, it, it was incredibly fun. Uh, actually, uh, I discovered that uh, most of the uh, what we can call traditional jobs uh, like agriculture, uh, farming, and so on are incredibly high tech. And uh, um, I ended up uh, uh, initially for a small project. It was uh, designed to print uh, uh, QR barcodes uh, on cheese uh, um, uh, boxes. And uh, it was designed to allow veterinary people to check uh, where the milk uh, that ended up in the cheese come from. And from that, uh, we designed uh, uh, other kind of uh, interfacing tools for getting, for example, white cell counts from the milk uh, directly into veterinary database to DNA uh, systems. But uh, actually, it's uh, part of our job. We uh, end up working in multiple verticals in multiple kind of things from uh, video compression, for example, to uh, art uh, renovation, to architecture, to uh, water treatments and so on. So we take the, the opportunity to learn something, something new. I guess this is just a testament to how far, you know, advanced digital methods are being used, you know, across industries, across domains, you know, almost everywhere, which gets me to, to edge computing. Can you define edge computing for us? Um, what is it? What is it not? Well, edge uh, computing has multiple definitions, mostly because uh, marketing uh, allows a lot of creativity in this. But in general, edge computing is uh, uh, the data processing that happens uh, near to where the data is generated or is consumed. Uh, for example, and, and why is that yep. different from what was before? Just quickly. Well, it's uh, different in the fact that uh, up to a few years ago, everyone assumed that every uh, data source would send the data into the cloud, where it would have been processed. So uh, the, every uh, IT infrastructure basically create this huge pipes that sends uh, uh, sensor information and video camera data into a cloud provider. And there you have lots of uh, processing uh, abilities. The biggest problem is that this is basically not possible anymore 
because uh, we uh, we know that the amount of data produced by uh, a smart uh, factory or or even a farm is so um, high that it's simply not economic to send everything to the cloud for processing, especially because uh, 95 to 99% of the data is actually not relevant. Most of the data is uh, uh, always the same, but the problem is that you don't know which data is uh, relevant. That's fascinating. So we'll get into how you deal with that in a second, but I just wanted to quickly cover this. First of all, do you believe that edge computing, as you were describing it now, is a true real trend or is it a repackaging of some version of of the cloud market? I mean, you 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 pointed out the distinctions, but there are also similarities. So and in answering that question, you know, how large is what the what would be reasonably defined as the edge computing market? I've seen some numbers, you know, in the um, two-digit billions, uh, you know, for forecast for a few years from now. What are some of the forecasts you are working with, and you know, how, how large is this market? Do you think? Well, it, and from my point of view, uh, the edge uh, computing uh, is uh, something new because uh, uh, the edge has uh, some properties that are specific to uh, the fact that most of this processing is dispersed uh, in environments where there is no IT uh, capability to, for example, to repair things if something fails. Uh, devices uh, uh, are uh, exposed to external environments, uh, so they're under the rain or they may be in uh, hot or humid climates. So it's not exactly the same uh, infrastructure that has been done in the past. Uh, it's, uh, in a sense, uh, the result of the uh, a, a new way of thinking by using the ideas of the cloud in terms of uh, uh, everything is a resource, everything is a service, and it's uh, drivable through uh, programmatically uh, and applying it to a new generation of hardware devices. In terms of uh, how big it is, uh, one of the estimates that we have from the 451 group is that the edge market uh, is already in 2020 uh, around $170 billion. Uh, and that's fairly realistic if you consider that now most uh, uh, manufacturing systems and most uh, robotic systems tend to process data through local edge platforms. Got it. Well, that's certainly a, a, a big big market. And I know you work with the EU a lot on the EU projects. Are, are there uh, prognostications and, uh, of, of this market and their optimism you know, for, for this market similar? Well, yes, the, the European Commission has several initiatives that are uh, not specifically focused on the edge per se, but more uh, designed to make sure that Europe uh, as a whole can be a competitive uh, player uh, in the worldwide market for clouds and for data um, in data management, uh, making sure that data which is extracted from edge platform is uh, uh, processed uh, according to local regulations like GDPR and so on. There are a few modern, uh, more, uh, let's say, uh, advanced projects like Gaia-X, uh, which try to federate different levels of cloud providers, including edge uh, devices, and several research projects in this. Got it. 
can we uh, unbundle some of these uh, concepts a little bit? So we, we've been through this uh, distinction between cloud and edge. What is the relationship between edge computing and AI? And then maybe uh, a few other buzzwords that, uh, that I know go into this kind of soup, right? So there's uh, the notion of 5G for m- mobile. Uh, there's the whole uh, Internet of Things IoT concept, which embeds onto what we were just talking about. <clears throat> I know desktop as a service, you mentioned, you know, it shares with the cloud that it is a service-based model. Storage area network is a kind of another term. Virtualization comes in there, and then you have a bit of a mouthful, kernel-based virtual machine uh, monitoring, so it has to do with virtual machines. Uh, then locality and topology uh, are, are concepts. So there are a bunch of these concepts. Can you just super easily explain some of these things and how they relate to each other uh, on the edge network? Well, uh, most of these uh, buzzwords actually relates to the uh, um, individual technical components uh, that are inside of uh, an edge platform. For example, several edge platforms use uh, an hypervisor, uh, which is a, a software component that uh, allows to run virtual machines, which are like physical machines, but running in software only, so that you can fit uh, more application and, and securely uh, insulate one from the other. Uh, the, uh, the technical, uh, let's say, underpinnings of the edge uh, are interesting from the tech, from, uh, from a technology perspective, but they are probably not as interesting as the potential application of the edge in itself. AI and deep learning in general tends to be some of the most important ones because uh, uh, deep learning in particular uh, is, uh, um, has been found to be extremely effective in, re- in understanding if something that comes from a machine or from a sensor, from a camera, is interesting or not. And this is in, in itself an extremely important capability. But it's also a distinction between important and not important. And I think you were talking about this. I mean, in, an, in a day and age where everyone's trying to put everything online, and especially with the Internet of Things, with all these sensors that we are developing to gather so much data, I mean, you know, we can be fascinated by how much we could put onto the cloud and not to the, onto the cloud, as you pointed out, and put it, you know, leave it on the edge. But we still have to find a way to analyze for relevance and, and figure out, oh, is it worth saving? Is it worth analyzing? How can it be combined? This must be a massive challenge as the data just keeps exponentially increasing. You still need some theories about what you're going to find in this data because otherwise we're finding ourselves in an ocean of data. With uh, with a hard time, but tell me a little bit about how you uh, think about the use cases emerging from from edge computing, you know, as it is right now, and and looking uh, towards the future. Well, uh, one of the uh, let's say nice examples that I usually make is uh, the ability uh, of uh, a, a very uh, let's say famous uh, smartwatch uh, manufacturer that basically took the uh, advantage of sensor data that already is available, like, for example, the accelerometer on on the device itself, uh, the uh, ability to identify changes in pressure and so on, to understand if its wearer has fallen and is not moving anymore. Uh, This is an example of what we call sensory fusion, 
the ability to take data, which is probably not that interesting in itself, aggregate it and, and become something else. Uh, this uh, ability to take information, which in itself probably is not that important, and make something useful out of it, will be probably one of the most important uh, capability in industrial uh, systems and in telecommunication as well, because there is a, a lot of things that can be obtained by sensors that are already deployed in the world. So the early industries uh, that were adopting these kinds of techniques, uh, I mean, apart from the IT industry itself, ma where manufacturers are arguably, and, and, and maybe healthcare, what are some of the next sectors that you see We've been uh, talking about an agriculture example for sure, and and I guess arguably they, I don't know if they were an early adopter, but they certainly are s starting to to adopt these technologies. What are some other sectors where you're seeing massive potential for for these kinds of approaches? Well, the, there are several uh, examples uh, happening right now. Uh, video surveillance, for example, is. Uh, a, a very consolidated market right now because uh, uh, we are, let's say, uh, deploying cameras uh, in lots of locations to increase security, to get accountability for something that happened. But the problem is that when you have, uh, for example, 300 cameras in a building, checking 300 cameras is simply not feasible. It's not economically sensible. So having an, an agent a smart device that tells you these uh, frames are interesting because something unusual happened is uh, uh, something of value. Uh, you mentioned agriculture. Uh, I've seen lots of work in industrial sectors, uh, in chemistry, in manufacturing, for example. We have seen a, a company deploying a system that uses microphones to understand if a, will, a welding robot is doing its proper work. And it's actually is taking its hints from experienced welders that are able to understand if uh, uh, the, let's say, the operation has been done properly or not, simply by hearing the sound that the welder does uh, when it performs its work. That's fascinating. It actually reminds me of some early work uh, done on communities of, of practice back in, uh, this must be the 80s and 90s right now at Xerox Park and, and, and with some of the copiers uh, that they had early on because they were having problems with the service community and how quickly they could get these copiers back up and running. And they discovered something similar that it was very <clears throat> attuned experience that was shared between service personnel that sometimes had to do with just listening to the device like you're pointing out so a lot of service work sometimes is you know uh i guess also in repairing older cars right just the mechanic would, would be listening to it so the audible channel is is an enormously rich source of information it's fascinating that we're starting to analyze that digitally right now well, I mean, I think energy and finance and logistics there, I mean, there's just a plethora of, of sectors that we could, that we could talk about. Why don't we talk about some of the obstacles for a second? So you mentioned the sheer number of data points, obviously. Um, what are some other challenges? I, I could imagine that this could become costly for any individual actor starting to implement it. And what are some of the other challenges that you're still facing with, with the edge? 
Well, the edge has uh, some very specific, uh, uh, let's say, properties uh, that uh, brings uh, a whole set of new challenges that uh, most of IT vendors are simply not prepared to handle. Uh, just think about the fact that these uh, devices, for example, tend to be used uh, on, on the top of a telephone pole. So you cannot use a full-size rack server and have someone that goes there with a monitor and keyboard to deploy it. It's simply not possible. So you need to have a new kind of uh, devices that consume less power because sometimes they are powered by uh, solar energy. So they, they, you cannot, uh, let's say, uh, employ too much uh, uh, memory or disk because it will consume too much. Uh, the other problem is how to handle uh, a, a whole world of devices out there. When you have uh, companies that have 10,000 locations and you have hundreds of devices there, things uh, like uh, how do you upgrade your software, how you send new software there, how you check for failures, are all things that uh, becomes exponentially more difficult at scale. So uh, we are just in the beginning of this kind of deployments. Uh, most of the initial deployments tend to be in uh, hundreds of devices and we are entering the first uh, one or 2,000 locations. When you get into 10,000 locations, it's really a, a problem of logistics, a problem of uh, manageability, uh, especially because you cannot expect to have uh, IT personnel everywhere in the world. We have one of our customers is uh, in the middle of the desert and they handle the, the power distribution for a solar plant farm. And they mentioned that it takes uh, a repair technician two days by car to reach the location. So it's not that easy. Wow, this is fascinating. I mean, it reminds me of the power of these you know, highly oiled logistics platforms that are going to come into play. I mean, it reminds me, I guess, of, of the fact that IT now is definitely going into an era, arguably... Uh, uh, where, where the hardware challenges are, are equal to the software challenges. I mean, you're pointing out it, it's not just making the software run smoothly. And obviously, if you have great software, you don't need to update as much. But because of all these physical locations you're trying to empower, at some point, you do also need to go out there and, well, either set it up. Uh, and I guess, so the challenge then becomes to set up something that can last. Yeah. This is another important change uh, compared to traditional IT uh, systems. We are used to think about replacing servers after three years. And some uh, hyperscale vendors, uh, like the major cloud providers, they, they change computers every one or two years because a new generation of systems uh, is uh, out with better performance and lower power consumption and so on. In many edge systems, in many industrial systems, you are thinking in terms of minimum five years. And some of our customers ask us for what we will have to do 10 years from now when we will start thinking about replacing things. Ten it's years fascinating. I mean, we're time. talking about you're already building legacy. You have to yeah. build legacy thinking into the technology because like you pointed out, if you have 10,000 locations, whether they be cameras or servers or whatnot, no, no one company is going to want to make that investment for security. For instance, if it's a five percent improvement in security, they're, they're just not going. You know, how do you even measure the benefits of changing that system out? It's fascinating. 
fascinating. Well, 5G rollout is, has also been touted as one of the limitations. How, how do you see, see that? I mean, can you deploy some of these systems without 5G? To what extent does it uh, depend on faster mobile speeds? Well, uh, I, my personal opinion is that the connection between 5G and edge systems has been uh, exaggerated a lot. 5G is actually an umbrella of different technologies. And uh, in general, the idea of telecommunication or networking in, in a more general sense is actually a spectrum of solutions that go from 4G 5G, uh, we have now Wi-Fi 6, uh, we have uh, uh, several different uh, interconnecting systems. All of them cover a different part of the spectrum, a different part of, uh, let's say, what kind of connectivity you actually need. Uh, edge deployments do not depend on 5G. Uh, it's uh, 5G is uh, actually uh, mostly an incremental uh, technology compared to 4G for most of the deployments. In the next uh, one to two years, we will see one aspect of 5G, which is interesting, which is the ability to do low-speed communication to thousands of devices under a single cell. And that will allow probably uh, distributed sensors for things like smart cities. But that's probably the only technology that really is necessary for edge. That's, I, I just, uh, not that I love debunking myths, but you're one of the few that's willing to say that 5G is an incremental improvement. I mean, it sort of goes without saying that all of these numbers are, you know, they're marketing devices in a certain sense, because of course they're, they're real efforts. And they, it, I mean, you know, you can't, underestimate how much it's going to take to move the world from 4G to 5G. I'm not saying it's a, you know, not a worthwhile investment, but as you point out, you know, 4G is, is there for most of the network uh, by now. And, uh, you know, we, we might have to work with all of these other standards and systems as well. Well, how do you, um, let's see, no, let's go into the startups first. You and I talked a little bit about this, you know, I'm interested in tracking this environment as it evolves. And one of the lenses on the future for me and for many others is startups. What are some of the startups to watch in the domain that we've been talking about, whether it has to do directly with edge computing or it is supporting software or hardware or approaches that will foster a better, faster, bigger, you know, notion of, of, of edge impact, you know, in our society? Well, there are several. Actually, it's uh, one of the nice things is that uh, this sector is so new and there are so many uh, new approaches and ideas that have been being tested in the market that the, the, the environment itself is uh, uh, wonderful and bubbling with new ideas. Uh, one company I really like is uh, uh, Swim, uh, Swim AI, which makes uh, a, a, an artificial intelligent and uh, universal networking layer for the edge that allows to write uh, intelligent applications that are designed for the edge just from the first scratch. So they, they are very efficient. They are able to dynamically adapt to change in condition because when you are in the edge, for example, it's... Uh, uh, quite uh, normal to have devices that appear, disappear, are connected or disconnected at the same time. 
Uh, one company we work for is Vapor, Vapor.io, which makes uh, a, a special version of, uh, let's say, uh, edge uh, um, environments. They are designed to host uh, traditional servers, but in a way that is uh, much more densely packed. And they tend to be deployed uh, uh, at the bottom in containers at the bottom of uh, uh, 5G towers, for example. Uh, Hilo. Uh, there are lots of uh, open source projects that are becoming uh, essential and are becoming uh, used by many other vendors like K3S uh, from Rancher, which has been just announced to be acquired by SUSE, uh, a long-term open source player. Uh, Kubernetes is uh, another of those technologies that tend to be used in a, in a wide sense. Uh, so it's it's difficult. We have a small database of uh, nearly 100 companies that we track and uh, try to learn from them and try to to see if it's possible to work with them to to uh, work together there is no single vendor that is currently able to provide everything that can fill every vertical and that can fill every uh, environment so working together as a network of companies i think will become a necessity in the future as well. Fantastic. You mentioned containerized computing that's another term that has come you know, onto the the market relatively recently, and seems to be fairly fundamental for some of the advances that are happening. What, what do you briefly? How do you dis- explain containerization? Well, uh, the, uh, let's say that uh, your edge device is able to run lots of application at once, but. Uh, for example, you may have application that comes from different sources, different providers. They may even be handled by different companies and collecting data for different applications. So you need a way to partition your hardware and divide uh, uh, your hardware capabilities into sections so that no one is able to go from one side to the other. In a sense, uh, providing uh, ironclad security about what is happening inside. So Containers it's for security, but it's way. also for speed, right? Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's a way to have higher utilization uh, because most of the time these devices do not do much. They tend to run at only ten percent of their capacities, like uh, like a car. More more uh, most of the cars are are in a in a park or in a garage and not used at all. Let's say that you can use your car and share it with with others. Containerization is a way for securely sharing your resources with others so that no one is able to see your data and everyone is secure what happens in its own partition. That explains a lot to me because I think I was having trouble wrapping my mind around how, for me, you know, I, I like to think about what the metaphor might even just mean but container for me containerized for me also means like you said partitioning and i didn't quite understand how partitioning something would give you more of it because you know at first sight you would think when you partition it out you are setting out 10% that tron works with and then 10% that carlo works with how would that actually free up resources? But you're saying by partitioning it, you can then decide when and how to share those resources as well. But still, as you have partitioned off some of it, I can guarantee that some of the data I don't want you to see will never be exposed, even if you are using some of my con- my computer resources. Is that right? Yes, exactly. In fact, uh, this kind, this idea, this whole idea of partitioning 
sharing and consolidating things together is the basis of most of uh, uh, the modern cloud technologies, hypervisor, um, containers, and so on, are just different way and different implementation of the same idea. How can I securely share something that is mine with others so that we both get uh, a resource that we can use, but we are secure from each other? Carlo, you're the co-founder and CEO of NodeWeaver. What does NodeWeaver do? Uh, NodeWeaver is uh, a company that uh, is working on developing a sort of a universal layer for running application applications at the edge. So we try to solve the problem of managing uh, thousands of devices and uh, how to send uh, your software there, how to share and uh, uh, containerize and partition, let's say, resources in a secure way. And uh, we uh, tried to uh, think about how to do it in an efficient way by using traditional cloud technologies at first. But we discovered that uh, the edge is a different beast. It's, uh, it requires a different set of assumptions uh, and it requires a different set of technologies. It's not to say that uh, the edge is better or than the cloud or whatever. It's just to say that uh, when you go uh, to work, uh, you use your right, your tool exactly for your work. And uh, uh, let's say specialization is really important, especially when you have devices that tend to be very small, uh, which means that you need to design things specifically for that. Perfect. And uh, can you give a very precise example of, uh, I don't know, of a, of a client and what you're helping them with? Well, uh, one of the examples that we already mentioned is uh, a, a, an automotive manufacturer that is using this uh, uh, welding machines. They have uh, hundreds of welding machines in the product line, and they're using these microphones that are attached on top of the of the robot welder to hear uh, the the sound of the welding and how it is being done, so that they, if something happens, they can stop it immediately. Got it. Uh, we have uh, uh, lots of other examples. We have around uh, 300 deployments in 15 countries. Uh, most uh, uh, are really specialized. They, they do one job and they basically try to improve uh, either the work condition of something that is uh, in a hazardous environment or to make sure that... Uh, uh, a, a job can be performed uh, exactly as it needed uh, 100% of the time. Carlo, I find that fascinating because so much of the surface level discussion, if you read, you know, Wired Magazine or, you know, these kind of uh, bigger sort of uh, myth-creating uh, engines, it's it's all about kind of this fascinating future. Yet a lot of the applications where IT has been successfully deployed are in surprisingly kind of niche and specialized environment just purely for optimization. But I guess the stories don't play as well, uh, you know, to talk about those things, but they're immensely important, I guess, when you add one thing upon another, right? And after a while, once you have automated all these very dis uh, discrete kind of operations, now you're, you're seeing efficiency effects across your whole company and ostensibly across society as many, many more firms deploy these kinds of techniques. Which brings me to this issue, Carlo. Um, 
we've been talking about this and you know you've been rattling off these concepts as if there was nothing to it but you and i know that you've spent 25 years getting to this level of proficiency how do you even begin to learn more about edge computing and how do you once you have learned something stay up to date so you're able to kind of catch the latest approaches and maybe you know even if your ambition isn't to just become technically proficient at least to know when should my company start to deploy and and, and you know what are some things i should pick up from other successful deployment how, where do you find this information well if there's one thing that uh, the, the internet made it possible is to get uh, uh, as many information as you want uh, the, the problem is that the, the quality of the information is uh, uh, let's say the varied so sometimes you get uh, the, the, the right stuff sometimes you get lots of marketing speech with no real content uh, if I had to start uh, again or to give a suggestion for someone that want to start is think about uh, the real value these uh, technologies have a value if someone is using them and uh, when you think about uh, creating something, let, let's say that you have to uh, identify, for example, uh, whether uh, your cow is uh, ill or whether you want to identify if uh, a, a book uh, um, assembly uh, engine is uh, doing it properly or so on. Think about what you're replacing, what you're doing better, what you can do better that has not been done so far. Because... All the technology in the world is useless if it does not have an application somewhere. Yeah. And if you think about a real application, then the actual technology is, uh, is available somewhere and it's 99% of the time it's open source and it's available to anyone. You just need to have the desire to go there and learn it. So who, who, who concretely are some of the influencers, you would say, in the edge computing space that if you were to track a Twitter account or something, who are some of the people you're looking to uh, to sort of see well, what's there, going there, on? There, there are probably uh, too much of them to, to count. Actually, there are two interesting things that uh, have been, that I've noticed. The first one is that most of the research in, in general in age devices and in modern cloud platform happens outside of universities. It's uh, done by uh, companies uh, like Google, like uh, Microsoft, even Facebook, for example, in artificial intelligence and the ability to downsize uh, deep learning technology to run on a cell phone. Uh, if there is one, uh, um, one entity that I would really thank for the, 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 their ability to help learning things is Usenix, uh, which is the Unix User Association. And uh, they have all their conferences and their proceedings uh, are open. And freely available, and they they have been uh, one of my major source of information in the last five years. Usenix, yes. Well, Carlo, this is a fascinating landscape. Thank you for you know opening it up a little to uh, my listeners. Thank you so much for for sharing all of this information. I wish you best of luck with Node Weaver, and um, hope to have you on again. 
Thank you to you for the invitation and to all the listeners for staying with us uh, so far. Thank you. Thank you. You have just listened to episode nine of the Futurized podcast with host Trunar Nunheim, futurist and author. The topic was killer applications in next decade's edge computing. Our guest was Carlo DeFaro, CEO and co-founder of NodeWeaver. My takeaway is that the importance of edge computing lies not in the technology itself, but in what it enables, which is a plethora of killer applications in manufacturing, retail, healthcare, agriculture, finance, energy, logistics, and beyond. The edge is based on the realization that given the amount of data we now generate, all of that data cannot always be moved around. Edge computing is also a renaissance for open source software, which is great. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, subscribe at futurized.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.